0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. ...murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree quickly with your adversary while you are on the way with him, lest Your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hands you to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people tonight, Lord. God, we thank you for the services that we had this morning. And God, we thank you for the service that we're having this evening. And God, we ask that you would please bless the reading and the teaching of your word, that your people would draw nearer to you this very evening. God, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your precious name that we pray, as all of God's people said, amen, and you may be seated. Now, in verse 21, Jesus says, You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Now, I want to stop right there for just a minute. And I want you to think with me about a couple of names that I'm going to mention. Think on these names. Charles Manson. John Gacy. Timothy McVeigh. Now, consider these places. Columbine. Las Vegas. The World Trade Centers. Sandy Hook. What happens when you think of those names and those places? Generally, a ring of terror starts to go through our hearts and into our minds because of the heinous crimes that were committed in those places and and the crimes that were committed by those folks. And that heinous crime that we talk about, of course, is murder. The taking of human life, murder it strikes a chord immediately in all of us. And, and, and it kind of gives you a gut punch when you think about it and you hear about it. And I'm going to tell you why. It's a problem in our world. Matter of fact, if you were to add abortion or legal murder to the number, there is someone murdered in our country at a rate, I want to say if you add abortion to it, it's like a hundred and something people per minute if you add abortion into the mix. And so murder is rampant even in just America and in our world and in our society. And it is a serious problem. Jesus makes this statement, though. And there's no doubt that those present, the Pharisees, they would have been familiar with what Jesus was saying. He said, he said you've heard it said from those of old, you shall not murder. And so we would all agree, like the Pharisees, you should not murder. The Pharisees would have been comfortable. Because God says in Exodus 20, thou shalt not Kill, and that word for kill is literally translated, Thou shalt not murder. In Genesis 9, 6, God says that Whosoever sheddeth a man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God he made man. That's why when we talk about murder and we witness murder and the taking of human life, it's a gut punch and it makes us sick at our stomach because literally to commit a murder is to assault the image of God because man was made in the image of God. And so we look at it and it's not just the taking of a human life as precious as it is, but it is literally an assault on the image of God for life to be taken. But think of the very first human crime. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain rises up against Abel and does what? Strikes him dead. He murders him. So even with the egregious penalty and the depth of depravity that's associated with the taking of human life, the first recorded human sin was murder. And so just as heinous as it is, it happens. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, we could learn a lot about murder. I'm not going to hit every verse. It would take all night long, but a few. Uh, Matthew 15 says that murder starts in our heart. John 8 says that murder is authored by the devil himself. But Romans 129 perhaps says it best. It says that murder is not the result of stress. Murder is not the result of social deprivation. Don't you let anyone tell you that murder is the result of somebody being bullied or somebody snapping or somebody having too much to do at work or it's not the result of what one person does to another. Romans 129 says that man has been given over to a reprobate mind. Man commits murder because he has been given over to his evil mind. Because he has rejected God. And in Romans, what Paul writes is, he says this, If you continue to reject God and yearn after the evil things of man, God will say, go with it. He will give you over to your reprobate mind. And so it's not anything but evil heart conditions that lead people to murder. And so as we read of all of those murders that I talked about earlier, all those places, all those people, and the seriousness of those... We, like the Pharisees, would sit when you hear Jesus say, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. We sit and we go, amen. You you shall not murder. There should be a penalty for murder. And the Pharisees, they would have likely been the first people to amen this statement by Jesus. And Jesus says, if you murder, you will be in danger of judgment. Now the Pharisees... Standing within earshot would have said, oh yes, Jesus. Let's hear it, Jesus. Come on now. Preach that word, Jesus. You shall not murder. If you murder, you shall be judged. But you see, the Pharisees, they had a little problem with the way that they looked at it. Because they didn't just look at it and say, if you have murder, then then you will face judgment. They said, if I don't murder then I must be a righteous man. This is a sign of my righteousness. If murder demands judgment and I don't murder, then I am in fact righteous. But what did Jesus say? I want to back up to verse 20 for just a second. I'll read it to you. In verse 20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of Heaven. So what did Jesus say about the righteousness of the Pharisees? He said, it is not enough. And so when they say, but because we don't murder, we have righteousness. Jesus says, that's fine, but your righteousness is not enough. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And then Jesus introduces some difficult thinking in verse 22. And he really is looking to basically destroy the view of themselves. Now I will tell you, just so you can kind of look forward for the next few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 20, when Jesus says your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, he's about to in turn give us six examples where the Pharisees' righteousness falls short. All right, So get ready for the next... This sermon in the next five weeks, Jesus is going to be attacking us in a place where we may stand righteous in our thoughts because of what we don't think that we're doing. But Jesus is going to stand and say, but my standard is even greater than your standard. That's essentially what's going to happen. But in verse 22, he's really destroying the Pharisee view of himself because he says this. He first said, whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But he says, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says raka, now, that word raka, just so nobody gets stumbled up on it, it's an interesting word, it doesn't have a real meaning. It doesn't have a Hebrew meaning, it doesn't have a Greek meaning. The closest thing we can come up with is an Aramaic word called reka that means empty-minded. And so we think perhaps it was just a slang insult, basically. Just something you might say to somebody, but best definition, the closest thing we can find is empty-headed person. So it would be like you called someone empty-headed. And whoever says fool, well, they stand the judgment of the hellfire. Jesus is saying, essentially, good job on not committing physical murder. Good job on not actually picking up the knife And slaying somebody. Good job on not bashing them over the head with a rock when you wanted to. But that really isn't far enough. You see, if you have anger, then you are just as guilty spiritually as if you had picked up that rock and thrown it at them. If you have anger against your brother, you have spiritually committed murder and you're just as guilty as if you had done it. Jesus also makes the comments even stronger as he goes. He doesn't just make the standard stronger, he makes the the punishment stronger. Notice he starts with the judgment, and that word for judgment he's using there was kind of a a local court system. So you would stand against the one who was judging you, and then he talks about the council. That would be the council of the elders. That would be like standing in a civic court today. And then he goes on to the danger of hellfire, which was kind of the worst judgment that could be pronounced. The judgment of God. And so he kind of accelerates the judgment the same way that he accelerated the standard. He said, hey, good job, you don't murder. (coughs) But if you're angry, in my eyes you committed murder. My standard is much higher than your standard for yourself. And so Jesus is really calling their attention to themselves. And I think he's doing the same to us as we study through this sermon Because we tend to be somewhat Pharisaic sometimes with our views of ourselves. Well, I didn't commit murder, so I'm okay. I didn't physically commit the the act, so I am okay, Brother Jason. But Jesus says, sure. But are you holding anger in your heart? Because if you are, you are just as guilty as the murderer, because murder begins where, according to Matthew 15? In the heart. Because it begins in the heart, if you harbor the anger in your heart, you have committed murder against that person. In other words, even if you don't physically act on the hatred, you're just as guilty. Jesus also kind of deals with a system of judgment here on us too, doesn't he? Because I know what some of you are sitting there thinking. You're thinking, well... That's a nice statement, Brother Jason, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that Brother Eric's never been called out to to a house to arrest somebody who thought about getting angry enough to kill somebody. He's never taken anybody to jail because they thought about committing a crime. And the judge has never sentenced someone uh, to time because they had in their mind that they might want to kill somebody. So, Brother Jason, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong, Brother Jason. It doesn't weigh the same as if you do it, as if you think about it. And I would say to you that Jesus' stance on the judgment shows us that it does. He's addressing the fact that in our minds, we're quick to justify things based on the earthly standard. We're quick to say, but I didn't go to jail for it. It must not have been wrong. And what Jesus is saying to you is, I don't care what the standard of man has become. The standard of God is a cut above, a notch higher, and that is the spiritual standard by which you should be living your life. Because Jesus doesn't speak just on the physical condition. Jesus speaks of our heart condition. 1 John 3 and 15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And so what God is really doing to us, what Jesus is saying to us here on this Sermon on the Mount, is what is on the inside of the man is what is judged by God. You may be thinking you've got it covered if you hide it from man, but that doesn't get it done because you cannot hide your heart. Now maybe your hatred hasn't manifested itself physically in murder. But if it's there at all, then you are a murderer. And what is Jesus really doing to us there? What is Jesus really doing to us? He's really defining who is a murderer. If we're honest, it's all of us. Because there is not a person here who has not harbored anger in their heart towards a brother. There is not one person here this morning, here this evening, whatever time it is, I don't know, who has not harbored anger Hatred or anger for a brother or sister at some point. Some of you, maybe even now. And so Jesus is essentially taking, and and he's painting this brush, and and he's kind of saying this to us. My standard is the standard of which you should try to reach. But my standard is so holy that you can't reach it apart from me. That's really what Jesus is trying to paint to the Pharisees. What was the Pharisees' greatest problem throughout the text? It's that they depended on their own righteousness instead of the righteousness that Jesus and his grace offered to them. And so then Jesus uses that big word in verse 23. It starts with therefore. You guys remember last week, right? When you see therefore, we got to figure out what it's there for. So we look before. took me a long time to come up with that. Y'all should remember it. We've already looked at what was before, so you already know that what it's there for is it's telling you that once you understand that murder begins in the heart and that being angry at your brother is just as guilty as if you had committed the act in the eyes of God, then he's saying, Now I want you to look forward and look at something else. He says, Remember this: if your brother has something against you, when you get to the when you get to the house of the Lord and you offer your, your sacrifice at the altar, you bring your gift in, and you remember that your brother has got some problem with you, he's got something against you, he's angry at you, then you might just as well turn around, leave that gift where it's at, go and reconcile with that brother before you come and give your gift. And so he, he uses this example because for them in this time they would understand it Understood it well. Remember, they were because they're on that side of Jesus, they're still in a sacrificial system of bringing gifts to the priest. And so, what they would have done is they would have brought their gift into the house they would have placed it in the hand of the priest. The priest would have put his hands upon it. He would have identified it. And if he accepted it as an acceptable sacrifice, he would have then sacrificed it on your behalf. And so what he's saying, Jesus is saying, listen, if you get all the way into the house, you put the sacrifice in the hand of the priest and he's getting ready to identify it and you remember that somebody's angry with you, you tell the priest to hang on. You got something you got to take care of before you come back. He's really pointing out to us that our relationship with other people affects our relationship with God. What did he say in the Beatitudes? Your relationship horizontally affects your relationship vertically. How you respond to your relationships with other people affects how you're reconciled to God and how you worship God. And Jesus is saying, if you get here and your worship is not pure because you have not reconciled to a brother, your worship doesn't mean anything to me. So you go get that right, and then you come back into my house. Don't you defile the house of the Lord with unworthy worship. Remember what happened to the poor old boys in the Old Testament who burned the foul incense. Same God still today. I don't want that punishment upon me. And so Jesus says, hey, somebody's angry at you. Notice he didn't just say if you're angry at somebody. He's already dealt with that. If you're angry at somebody, you hold hatred, then you've murdered them. You certainly shouldn't come and worship until that's made right. But he's saying here, If your brother's mad at you, settle that breach here before you settle with God here. But Brother Jason, I didn't do anything to them. I don't see anything there about whether or not you think you should reconcile to them because of anything you think you or they did. Jesus says it doesn't matter who did what. It matters that you reconcile. But Brother Jason, he won't reconcile with me. Then open the door to reconciliation. Offer to reconcile. And when you make that genuine offer of reconciliation, pray for that person to accept your offer. And until they do, don't stop praying and don't close the door. But they don't deserve reconciliation. You didn't deserve salvation. They don't deserve forgiveness. You don't either. But they got no reason to be mad at me. But they are. Open the door to reconciliation. And if they won't reconcile, pray that God will change their heart. And they'll walk through that door and reconcile with you. Why? Why go to all that trouble? Because Jesus is worth it. Quite frankly, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's about Jesus. And he says, if you're going to come into my house and you're going to worship my name, and I'm going to take this worship to my Father, you best make sure that you've done everything you can to find yourself in a proper standing before you bring it in. Because if you bring a filthy, defiled, angry worship into my house, I will not hear it. So what is the even deeper meaning of this whole text about murder and anger and all of this? I think to sum it up, Jesus is telling us this. Our sin is a deeper problem than just what we do. When we think about the sin in our lives, we're very quick to think about the things that we do or don't do. Right? It becomes a list. I'd say if I talked to most of you and, and we got in private and we got real honest with each other, and I said, listen, what are the things in your life that hinder your walk with God, you would come up with a laundry list of sins that you commit, things that you do, things that you say, things that you things that you have in your life, and you'd say, i got to stop this, stop this, stop this, and start this, right? We would have a quick list of the things we need to quit and the things we need to start that we might walk closer to God. But what Jesus says is it's way more than what you do or what you don't do. It's as deep as what you think and what's in your heart. And he says, in fact, if you ever get what's in your heart in the right spot, then what comes out of your mouth and is done with your hands will be holy. It begins in the heart. Our sin problem, it's not what we do. It's what's in the heart. The reason we do what we do is because we have a heart condition. So what do we do with this tonight, Brother Jason? What do we do with it? I think we examine ourselves. Number one, are you angry with your brother? Is your brother angry with you? We just thanked God for the Spirit's movement in this house over the last month. Don't let a disunified spirit creep in the door. Because that is the quickest way to quench the Holy Spirit's presence. One of the most difficult tasks placed upon church leadership is the task of removing disunified spirits from the house of the Lord and counseling to remove a disunified spirit from the house. Don't let that creep in because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about everybody in here, but even more, it's about him. He died for you. He gave his life for you. You weren't worth it. But he's worth you living a life that is set apart and consecrated for him. It's about worshiping Jesus. So number one, if you have problems with your brother or your brother has problems with you, you do what is within your power to reconcile that before you come back into the house to worship. And it would be better that you stop at the front door than that you come in with a disunified spirit. And number two, you examine yourself and say, what is it that's in my heart that causes me to do or say the things that I don't need to be saying and doing? That causes me to have the hatred or the anger? Can I bring it to the God's feet this evening and leave it there and turn around in his power and live a different life? Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you and we recognize That this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, that it's heavy text. It's heavy text because it was spoken by you, Jesus. It was meant for us, Jesus. Not meant for us for our enjoyment, not meant for our pleasure, but meant for our holiness. And so God, take us to the woodshed. Point out the things in our lives that distance us from who you are. And God, if we have anger, give us a peaceable spirit. And God, if we know our brother has anger, give us a spirit of reconciliation. This might be a house of worship that we might glorify you not just with our lips, but with our lives. And it is in your precious, holy, saving name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.